Good morning. All right, so I'd like you to start today by thinking about your heart for a second, not, not your, your physical heart, you know, all clogged with bacon, grease, and french fries. Uh, uh, think about your metaphorical heart. And the way the Bible talks about our heart is it is, I like to call the decision-making engine of our life. It is the combination of everything that is makes us who we are. So it's our mind, our intellect, our emotions, our personality, our experiences. You kind of mush all of that together. And that is how the Bible talks about our heart. And almost the most important thing about our heart, it is, it is the seat of our will, which means it is the place from which we make all the decisions in our life that we make. So here's the question. How's your heart? Like right now, understanding that that is what our heart is, how is your heart doing? Jesus tells us sometimes the best way to find out what's going on in our heart is through how we live our life, the decisions we make and who we're thinking about when we make those decisions. In Luke, Jesus tells us this specifically, that everything, our, our actions flow out from our hearts. And so if our heart is the decision-making engine of our life, my question for you is, what is the fuel that fuels the engine that you have that makes the decisions in your life? What is the driving force, right, that turns the gears, that helps you to have the will to do something, the the decisions that you, you make? For me, when I think about the fuel that fuels the decision-making engine of my life, I think sometimes that fuel is impatience, right? That is the thing that seems to drive my heart. I make decisions based on being impatient. I sometimes frustrate people because I push them to decisions because of my impatience. I telegraph impatience. So the fuel that seems to drive my heart is impatience. Other times I think it's self-protection. To be honest, I'm way more insecure than you would probably think I am, Um, but I just kind of struggle with shame issues. And so sometimes I get into this self-protection mode where I make decisions to protect myself from something that may cause shame. So, So how about you? Have you ever considered that? What is the fuel that drives the decision making in your life? How's your heart? It's interesting when you go through the gospel accounts in the Bible, There is only one time in the entire Bible that Jesus describes his heart to us. Here's that one verse. In Matthew, Jesus says, I am lowly and humble in heart. Now, it's absolutely wild about this short little phrase of Jesus's is that this word humble can actually be translated humble or it can be translated lowly. And this word lowly can be translated lowly or it can be translated gentle. And when you read the descriptions of the word humble that can be translated lowly, it can also be described as gentle. There's a way in which Jesus could be saying, I am lowly and humble in heart. He could also say, I am gentle and gentle in heart. In fact, I like how the ESV translation translate this. They translate this, I am gentle and lowly in heart. So what does it mean to be humble, to be lowly, to be gentle? Well, to be, to be lowly is to bring yourself low. To be humble is to rank yourself underneath other people. And so now you see how those three things work together. To be lowly is to be low. To be humble is to place yourself underneath other people. And the spirit of gentleness is the thing that connects those two. 
You have to be gentle, to be lowly, to be humble. Is what Jesus is saying is the core of my being, the core of the decision-making engine of my life, Jesus says, is to be gentle. We are almost at the end of our series going through the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, we got like one more week to go after this one. And the fruit of the Spirit is a description of what God does inside of a Christian as he transforms us into the likeness of his Son. And so Jesus is saying, I am gentle. I am lowly in heart. Then one of the things that God does inside of us is he transforms us into becoming more gentle people. So it's no surprise that one of the the aspects of the fruit of the spirit is gentleness. Because one of the evidences that God is transforming us from the inside out is we become more gentle people. When I began studying this in scripture, because gentleness is not something we think about a lot, I was stunned at the number of verses in the Bible that actually mention this idea. In fact, what I want to do is I want you to kind of be stunned along with me. I'm going to read a whole bunch of them. I'm just going to sit here and read a whole bunch of verses. And I want you to listen for this and listen for the, what this is saying to us about gentleness in our life. And this is all in the New Testament. Let's start in Ephesians. Ephesians 4 one through three says, therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you've received. In other words, what's going to happen here is your calling with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, uh, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Galatians 6.1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you won't be tempted. Titus 3. Remind them to submit to rulers and authorities to obey, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, to avoid fighting, to be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. James 3.13, who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he shows, shows that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. And three verses later, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. First Peter 3. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord is holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope is in you, yet do this with gentleness. And reverence, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ Jesus will be put to shame. And 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 25, the Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach patience, instructing his opponents with gentleness. That one had gentle in it twice. (laughs) I was just fascinated as I was reading through all of these, studying for this message, that no matter what we're commanded to do, whether we're commanded to confront someone um, because of their sin, we're to do that in gentleness. If someone is trapped in sin and we're to help them, we're to do that in gentleness. When we give an answer for why we have hope that we have, we do that in gentleness. 
As we grow in wisdom, one of the first things that happens in us is we, we, we become more gentle in how we posture ourselves toward other people. And I don't know about you, but this is a really tall order for me. <laughs> I've kind of found that to be the case through this whole fruit of the Spirit thing. Like, I was reflecting on why is it, it like everything in the fruit of the Spirit seems completely contrary to me. Love, joy, peace, patience, <laughs> kindness, faithfulness, gentleness. And I was like, and next week, self-control, by the way. Um, but I'm like, why is this so hard? And why do I not like the idea of being gentle? I think it's because it seems so passive, and I want to be an active person. So I'm like, well, I don't like the passive nature of this. And say, yet no one would accuse Jesus Christ of being passive. Jesus said incredibly strong things. He stood up against injustice. He unwaveringly called sin, sin. But he did it all with gentleness in his tank. Humbling himself. Ranking himself low. So what I want to do today is I want to go to the text where Jesus describes himself as gentle and lowly and we'll actually see him do it. In Matthew 11, 27, we'll start there. It says, all things, Jesus said, have been entrusted to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son desires to reveal himself to on him. Now this is a really powerful verse and it tells us a lot about who Jesus is. Um, let's just kind of go through a few things. He, he mentions that he's the son of God, right? He mentions that his father, God, right? Has entrusted him with what? All things, in other words, Jesus has been placed in authority. He has been put in charge. He has been given all power over everything in the universe. He has been given so much authority and power that no one can know the Father unless Jesus decides they get to know the Father. Now imagine for a second you had that level of power and authority. What would you do with it? Our culture talks a lot about power dynamics and power abuse right now, which is appropriate. Because there are, is in our world uh, so many examples of abusive leaders and those who have leveraged their powers in inappropriate ways to push people down, to climb over them, to get to the top. But that's not how Jesus rolls. Like, think about this. Jesus could have done anything he wants with his power. He could say, since no one gets to know God the Father except through me, you're stuck. I'm sorry, you don't get to know God. I hold all the cards, sucker, Right? Jesus could have done what other religions do, which is to say, here's a bunch of hoops that you have to jump through to be made right with me. He could have said, here are all the things you have to know. You have to perfectly memorize this thing and know this mantra and behave in this way in order to be sick with the universe. But Jesus does something radically different than all of that. With all the power of introduction to God the Father, he offers an invitation. And he offers this invitation not to powerful and well-connected people, to the rich and famous, or people who think they've got their crap together. This is the invitation Jesus offers in the very next verse. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you see who Jesus invites? He invites the weary. The weary are those who think, I just can't do this anymore. He invites the burdened. Those are the people to which the weight of this world is just becoming too much. And do you see what he offers them? Rest. Over the last couple of years, I've been talking to a lot of weary and burdened people. People who can't do it anymore. People who can't carry the weight anymore. Some people have been beaten down by the pandemic or maybe they've been beaten down by relationships. Maybe relationships that, that used to be great. They thought they were awesome. Now they're just barely amicable, right? And, and, and other relationships have become toxic. And for way too many people, relationships and hobbies that used to be life-giving to them, um, people in their lives that used to just feed into them have now become life-sucking. And to be honest, one of the big places that this has happened is in the church of Jesus. I've talked to so many people who still identify as followers of Jesus, but they've given up on church. They're tired of it. And I get it. And then on the flip side, I've talked to a lot of pastors of churches who are weary and worn out, and they have nothing left in their tank to give to the congregations that are weary and worn out. And in my decades of ministry, I've never encountered so many weary people in the church, around the church, leaving the church. And if that's you, if you are weary and you are burdened today, listen to Jesus. He says to you, come to me. You who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me. Because I am lowly and humble in hearts and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I was texting for about, I don't know, an hour, hour and a half with a friend of mine a couple weeks ago. And he's given up on church. Uh, grew up in the church, was super involved in the church, has given it up. He still, he still thinks he follows Jesus. He's trying to figure that whole thing out right now. Um, and he just asked me when we were texting, he's like, he's like why... Do you, are you still so committed to the local church? Why are you still a pastor after all these last several years? And my answer to him is I want people to know the real Jesus. I want them to, 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 to know the Jesus who says, come to me, those of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And I, I'll tell you, every time somebody comes to me and they say, you know, I'm not sure what I believe anymore. And, and I, maybe they even use that D word these days, deconstruction. I'm deconstructing from my faith. You know what the first thing I say is? I always say, I am so excited for you. <laughs> because there are extra biblical trappings that we've thrown onto this faith thing. And let's, let's get rid of those. Let's deconstruct the faith and, and, and see what scripture really has to say. See who Jesus really is. And let's rebuild something that is Jesus. That actually is what Jesus has called us to be. Don't give up on Jesus just because Christians have burned you. Don't give up uh, because churches have failed you. Because Christians will bur burden you and churches will fail you. And one guy was talking about this. He said the more he's reading the Bible, the more he's finding he's in love with the Bible and he's in love with Jesus. 
What Jesus is offering you is rest for your soul. Jesus does not put a heavy burden on your back. And anyone who puts a heavy burden on your back in the name of Jesus is missing the point. Notice what Jesus says in the middle of this passage. He says, take up my yoke and learn from me. That's kind of a double, uh, that's got a couple different meanings. Um, the idea of a yoke is, I mean, we're probably all familiar with the yoke, the idea of you got two oxen um, and you've got this big wood thing between them as they're plowing a field, right? That's, that's a yoke. Well, that kind of yoke basically exists so that the stronger ox can pull along the weaker ox and he can do a lot more than he could do without the stronger ox. That's the first imagery Jesus is giving us. The second is rabbis of this, of, of this day would call their teaching a yoke. And so the, it was their yoke that they would place on people. So if you wanted to follow a rabbi, you wanted to follow a teacher, you would do all the things he told you to do. And that was his yoke that he placed on you. And Jesus is saying both. He's like, my yoke, the teaching that I place on you, it is easy, it is light, and I am the stronger oxen that will help you plow this field. I will give you rest. Come to me, those of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. My teachings, Jesus says, will not wear you out. If Christianity feels like a burden to you, either you misunderstand it or someone has taught you something that isn't the way of Jesus. So how do we learn from him? Well, this is beautiful. Jesus wants you to take his easy and light burden, his offer of rest, and offer it to others. And we do this by being the same as Jesus, by being gentle, lowly, humble at heart, so that we can tell people about a Jesus who has given us rest. We make decisions in our lives. We do so ranking ourselves underneath others. Why? so we can stand up and pick up their burden with them. Now, you'll notice in Matthew's account, if you're reading his gospel account, he, he makes a chapter change here. And so when people make a chapter change, because someday some guy put chapters and verses in here to make this easier, we think, oh, it's a whole new section. I don't have to read it. But I think this is significant that this is what happens next. Look at the narrative. Matthew 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus passed through the grain fields of the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick and eat some heads of grain. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, See, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. What, what are they talking about? Well, well, part of the Mosaic law was something called Sabbath keeping. And Sabbath means rest. And part of keeping the Sabbath was you work and you grind for six days and then you take a day and you don't, you rest. That was the idea of the Sabbath. Grind for six days, rest for one day. That's the Sabbath idea. And so what the Pharisees had done here is they had added law and burden on top of something that was supposed to be restful. And what are the, the law and burden is they said you couldn't walk through a field and just pluck a piece of wheat off of a, a stalk and pop it in your mouth because that's work. They basically said when you grab that, that, that wheat stalk, that that was plowing, you know, harvesting, right? And then when you did this with your hands to get the wheat off, that was winnowing. And then when you would blow away the, the chaff so that you could eat the wheat, that was, that, was, that was whatever that thing is called, right? So you do all that threshing, right? And so you do all the things and you throw the wheat in your mouth and they're like, well, you're working. Come on. But isn't that what the world does to us? 
Isn't that what we do to ourselves and to other people? We constantly make everything into law. We constantly make everything into burden. We nitpick and hold people to ridiculous standards, and we make assumptions about people's motives, and we judge them based on the most insignificant little actions in their life. And this is the case of point. The Sabbath was supposed to be about rest. What did Jesus just told his guys? Come to me, all who are weary burdened, and I will give you rest. So Jesus responds to the Pharisees. That's great. He, he said to them, haven't you read what David, that was the king in the Old Testament, uh, did when he and those who were with him were hungry, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for them to do, or those with him to eat, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on Sabbath days, the priests in the temple violate the Sabbath and are innocent? I tell you, there is something greater than the temple here. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. This is beautiful. These religious guys had made the principle of Sabbath, the idea of a rest into a burden, and, and, and Jesus destroys their argument just with two examples. He's like, have you guys not read about King David? Remember when he went into the temple, he's not supposed to eat the bread, but he ate the bread on the Sabbath, and it was Okay. How about the priests who, because of their very job, have to work on the Sabbath? You know, I'm working today, right? You work on the Sabbath, and it is okay. And Jesus said, what you guys are missing is a couple of things. First of all, there's something much bigger than the temple here, right here. He's talking about himself. And he said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the Lord of rest. And there's that little phrase in the middle. I love it. He says, uh, don't, didn't you remember? It says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That's actually a quote from the Old Testament prophet Hosea. And Hosea, in that particular passage, was talking about how we tend to judge people on outward stuff. And whether or not they're pleasing God. And outward activities. But what God is most interested in is our hearts. He wants to have our hearts. He wants our hearts to be merciful like his. Gentle like his. And then Jesus doubles down. This is great. It says, moving on from there. It's like scene change. He entered their synagogue. Okay, Jesus is walking into their turf. So here it is. It's the Sabbath. He walks into their turf. And there he saw a man who had a shoveled hand. And in order to accuse him, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He replied to them. No, I'm going to just stop right there. Is it lawful to... Uh, we'll, we'll stop at that second. Because Jesus, he enters into their business. He gets into the synagogue. He went on their turf with the religious leader. He's basically daring them, right? And they took the bait. They had heard that Jesus healed people. So they're like, do you think it's okay to heal on the Sabbath? Hey, look, there's a guy who needs to be healed on the Sabbath, right? They're like, they're like daring Jesus. And he replied to them, who among you, if he had a sheep that fell into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't take a hold of him and lift him out? A person is worth far more than a sheep. So it is lawful to do what is good on the Sabbath. And then he told the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was restored as good as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might kill him, which they did. Because Jesus humbled himself so far. He was so lowly and gentle that he went to the cross to bear their sins, to bear our sins. Amen. And on that cross, Jesus declared to telestai, which means it is finished. I did it all. I handled it. 
That was the state of Jesus' heart. At the beginning, I asked you guys to consider your own heart. I'm going to ask you again. How's your heart doing? A lot of times you can tell how your heart is doing by the decisions you're making and who you're thinking about when you're making those decisions. And Jesus showed us in word and deed that his heart was gentle and lowly. He had and has all authority, and yet he humbled himself and made himself low because from that spot of being low, he could look into the eyes of those who are weary and burdened, and he could offer them rest. I want to read a chunk of what the Apostle Paul said about this. And just let this soak in. Paul writes this. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude, that of, that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality of God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he came as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus humbled himself by going to the cross for our sins and God exalted him. And now check this out. Jesus now, what does he do? He exalts us with him so that we can follow his example and lower ourselves with an attitude of gentleness and humility so we can draw people in to, to meet Jesus. What kind of people? People who are weary and burdened. So, I'm going to do something today. I'm going to ask you to do something risky. And I also want to be sensitive not to burden you. So just kind of bear with me as I go through this. <laughs> this is a fine line. If you are feeling weary and burdened today, what I'd like you to do is in a minute, have the courage to tell somebody. You don't have to tell them your whole story. All you got to do is say something like, yeah, I'm really tired or my relationships suck, just something like that. And if someone turns to you and says that, would you pray for them? Now, you could just say a sentence or two in your head. God will take whatever you say, however you say it. Or you could say something out loud. Or you could close your eyes and mutter a few words for that person. I'm asking both of you to take a risk right now. But I also know I don't want to burden you. Jesus' yoke is easy, his burden is light. So if you don't want to be bothered... All you're going to do is close your eyes, bow your head, and everyone will know to leave you alone. Okay? And that's my instruction to everybody else. Leave that person alone. Okay? Because there's no burden here. We're not putting burden. But if you are risky enough to be able to take this step, because I know there are so many people who are burdened and weary right now, and we are a family. Let the people around you be part of this. Let them be part of praying for you to Jesus that he would help you to be free.
to not be burdened, to take his yoke onto them. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just invite you to do that right now. And then, I don't know, whenever I feel like it, I'm going to come back up here and pray for us. But just take a couple minutes and invite each other to come to Jesus for rest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that we are weary and that we are burdened. And this last several years, there's not one of us that hasn't felt a little bit like we've been pushed through a meat grinder. <laughs> um, and we're at different places at this. So we just, we just pray that, that you would restore our souls. We come to you today and we take your yoke on us and in that remarkable moment when we place your yoke on us, instead of feeling more burdened, we feel more free. Thank you that Jesus' burden is easy and light. And we just pray that you would transform us into gentle people. Not because we have this burden to be gentle, but because you've been so gentle to us. Because you've cared for us we can now turn around and care for others. And so we just pray that you would transform us from the inside out. We pray that you would make this a community in our community where it is safe for people to be weary and burdened. We just pray that this would be a community where people would be safe for them to feel broken. Just pray that we don't ever become a community that demands perfection out of our people but points to the perfect Jesus. We thank you that Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart. And we pray all of this in his precious name. Amen.